Turn to your neighbor and say, I hope you put your big pants on today. Tell them. I hope you put your big boy pants on today. We're talking about flourishing. And, um, you know, it'd be really easy to preach sermons on like, man, God wants to give you all kinds of money. You know, write, write, write a $2,000 check to the church and God will pay off all your debt. That's what they say on TV, right? It'd be really easy to preach sermons like that where, where you talk about um, how God's destiny for you is all flowers and no dry ground. Uh, but that's really not our life experience, is it? Oh, I'm the only one. But God wants you to flourish no matter what cir- your circumstances are. And that's the difference between that's the difference between the church and the world. Right? Even at funerals, what do we what do we read? We read that we don't grieve as those with no hope. So even in even in grief we can flourish, right? Because we have we have a hope and a future. And so so I want to talk to you a little bit about that this morning, not about funerals. Uh, but about flourishing. And, uh, and I'm just warning you, you better make sure you have your big boy pants on. And um, hold your neighbor's hand. And if it starts getting real serious, you can squeeze down a little bit. And then look over at him and say, it's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. You don't ever have to come back to this church again. Just make it through right now. It's going to be all right. Why don't you stand? We're going to read the word together. You can turn your Bibles to James. Everybody just went, oh man, we're going we're gonna to turn our Bibles to James. That's that book. James chapter four, verse one, you can read along on the screen if you'd like. It says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Most of the time it's because I'm right and you're wrong. Is it that true? That's the way we think, isn't it? What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. I told you, I mean, it's rough. That was only three verses. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity with, against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think scripture says without reason that, he's, that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? But he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Verse 7, submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Somebody says, that's a recipe for flourishing. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. God, it's tough to hear things like that, but it's for us and it's good today, Lord. And we pray that in the midst of any circumstance we face, that we'd be able to flourish and it would be evident to all around us that the reason we're flourishing is because of you. The grace and mercy 
and hope that you've given us. In Christ's name we pray and everyone said, amen and amen. You may be seated. Turn around and tell your neighbor that was Jesus' brother saying all that mean stuff. (laughs) Isn't it funny how Jesus walks the earth and most of the stuff he says to everybody is really nice? Um, Except he says it to the, he says mean stuff to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. But then Jesus' brother James comes along and writes the book of James. And then you're like, whoa. Okay, James, settle down a little bit. Like this is, this is hard stuff. I need to give you a little background about this book. Because um, how many, how many of you know a word without context is often misinterpreted? That's why you should never fight with your spouse over text messaging. Some of you haven't learned that. See, see what happens is uh, communication is 97 or 93% nonverbal. So when, so men, you're 75% more likely to be misunderstood no matter what you do. You could be standing right in front and, 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 and saying it and expressing it and you could be misunderstood because you're a man. We're going to celebrate that next week. (laughs) The misunderstood Father's Day. So if you you text something that all it has is words on a paper, uh, then you're you're really in bad shape. And so my wife and I set, because we didn't grow up with text messaging. We didn't know what it was. We didn't grow up with the internet. And so, and so, so the, the thing is, is that you get in this where you're going to start arguing over text messages. So we started out early on when text, when we finally got phones that you could do texting over. Hey, we're not going to do that because I'm at a severe disadvantage. Come on, some, some guy in the house say amen. So, um, oh, you're scared. That's what it is. I get it. Okay. So, um, so anyway, when you're reading the Bible, Make sure you understand the context of what you're reading. Get a study Bible. You know what's, you know what's great about a study Bible? Like when you start to read the book of James, you can turn to the front of the study Bible, the front of the book of James, and it will tell you who James was writing to, why it was writing to him, and, 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 and the theme of the whole thing. And then you can understand when you're reading the book of James, and it sounds so harsh and mean and, and purify yourself, you sinners. Like why he, who is he writing that to? So let me give you a little background context about this. James is the brother of Jesus, and he is the head of the Jerusalem church. And what happened after Jesus died and resurrected is there was a, there, after a period of time, there became a great persecution uh, in the church in, of the church in Jerusalem, and it scattered people. And so by the time James writes this, he's addressing a church that is meeting outside of Palestine, and he and they are meeting in little groups because of persecution, because of poverty, because of all kinds of things that are going on. So their circumstances have forced them into this context. Well, what happens is, is because they're separated and, and, and the, they're being persecuted and all that stuff, they start to fight within themselves. They're fighting each other. And so, and so now the context makes a little more sense, right? That James is saying, hey, listen, you don't, you don't have what you want, so now you're going to fight your brother for it. Which is how it worked in my house growing up. Because me and my brother were about the same size. He's fatter than, I mean, bigger than me now. But, um, 
But uh, so we were the same size growing up. So we'd fight and, and we were poor. My, I mean, we were poor. Um, so my parents would buy us kind of one set of clothes. They kind of set us up for fighting. Now, you, used to, you, you would think only girls did this, but we only had basically, I mean, we had, we wore the same size clothes. He's two years younger than me, but we wore the same size clothes. So, so like, man, I get up in the morning, I'm putting on the clothes I want. If you get up late, that's your problem. And then we would end up out in the kitchen in a fist fight. And I thought, well, no, this can't get out that we're fist fighting over jeans. We're, we're guys. But he wouldn't stop, man. So like six o'clock in the morning, my dad comes running out. Now, now there's three people in a fist fight and two of them are giving up quick. You know, I'm like, dad, you can wear the jeans. I don't even care. So anyway, James says, listen, I need to address some things that you guys are doing in the context of your circumstances. And so he starts out in chapter four and he says, listen, you're fighting each other because you don't have what you want. What's he say? He says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have. You covet, but you cannot get what you want. So you quarrel and fight. He even says, so you kill. So he's writing to the church here. He's not writing to some pagans that are, that are off doing. That's expected, isn't it? So he's writing to the church and he's saying, he's saying, because of your circumstances, you're not acting like Christ believers. Let me ask you this. Have you ever, um, you ever squeezed an orange? Anybody ever squeezed an orange? What do you get when you squeeze an orange? Apple juice, right? No, what do you get when you squeeze an orange? You get orange juice because what comes out of an orange? The juice of an orange. What comes out of an apple when you squeeze it? Same thing, right? Apple juice. What comes out of a grape when you squeeze it? Grape juice. What what comes out of a what comes out of a banana when you squeeze it? I don't know. (laughs) What comes out of meat when you squeeze it? This is my favorite. Like, I don't care for fruit, but man, I love meat. Just squeeze a big thing of meat juice for breakfast. You see, when you put enough pressure on a piece of fruit, what's inside the fruit comes out, right? When you put enough pressure on a piece of fruit, what's inside the fruit comes out. Every time you squeeze an orange, you're going to get orange juice. There is no magical way to turn an inside of an orange to an apple. And when you squeeze it, you get something else than what is already in it. There's no way to do that. There's no way to squeeze a grape and get something else but what is, what is the DNA of a grape. You're going to get what is in it when you squeeze it. And 100% of the time, it's like that with us, isn't it? That when you squeeze us, you get what's in it, Right? How many times have you ever heard somebody say, oh, I didn't mean to say that? I instantly look at them and go, yes, you did. Yes, you did. 
Yes, you did. You absolutely meant to say it. Because you had to think about what you were going to say before you said it because your mouth does not work aside from your brain telling it to work. So the issue is you were squeezed and you said something that you instantly realized what was in you actually came out and you had been trying not for that not to happen. I hate the idea of going under anesthesia because now we have cell phones that take videos. Come on, you see that? That's, that's a reason to beat everybody in your family. If, they, if, you're, if you are in the throes of anesthesia, getting your teeth worked on or something, and, and some of you say some crazy stuff. So you think about it, and, and they've banned cell phones in those circumstances now, haven't they, from most hospitals? Because right, they understand the stuff shows up on YouTube. You see, as long as we're kind of conscious, we can, we can kind of guard what comes out of our mouths, right? As long as everything's going well, as long as everything's, as long as everything's fitting into our circumstances and what, what we want to happen, we can kind of dictate what comes out of us. We can, we can mask it. We can, oh man, it's great. I love you. No, really. Wow. God is awesome. I'm here this morning, and I was lifting my hands. God is awesome. You're a great God. Right? All my checks cashed this week. I got paid on time. I paid all my bills. I've got a little left over. You're awesome God. My God is an awesome God. Right? And then we start to get squeezed a little. Pressure comes on. Pressure comes on. We start getting squeezed. And what happens is that we don't have control anymore of what comes out because of the pressure, right? Because listen, when you squeeze an orange, it's not like the orange can dictate how much orange juice comes out. What dictates how much orange juice comes out is how much pressure you put on it, right? Is that true? Come on, this is going to be a little painful. I need you to act like it's not. So what happens is, when the pressure gets great in your life, you don't actually have a choice sometimes about what comes out. It's just what is in you that comes out. And what does James say? James says, because of what is in you, is the reason all this stuff is happening. He's saying the pressure... Of persecution and poverty is causing what is really in you to come out. He's saying, why are you fighting and quarreling? You know why you're doing that? It's not because you're right and they're wrong. It's because you want something you don't have. And deep down inside, it's because of the desires in our hearts, he says, that make us do the things. So when the pressure of our circumstances squeezes us, what happens? We find out that we're jealous, right? We find out that we're envious. Come on. There's nobody in the room that hasn't thought things like this. I've thought things like this repeatedly. Lord, I am serving you. Lord, I am, I'm going to church. I'm giving more than 10%. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. I'm doing this. I'm doing this. And yet that person is a lying, cheating thief. And they've got more than I do. You could say, oh my. Right? We've all, have you done that? 
You're like, no, I'm the lying, cheating thief, man. I'm the guy that's got it all. Well, what does that say about me? In that moment, what is happening is my circumstances are squeezing me. And what is coming out is that I don't care about what God's purpose is for my life. I care about why that guy's got more than me. And so as long as I care that you have more than me, I'll never worry about God's purpose for my life. And so I'll just do whatever it takes to get what you have. And by the way, all of you, like, according to keeping up with the Joneses, I'm, all of you are trying to keep up with me. So you're not moving very fast if you're trying to keep up with me. What do we do about this? What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from the desires that battle within you? It's not what's happening that's the problem. It's what's in you that's the problem. You notice nowhere in that scripture that we read did James say, pray to the God who controls everything that's sovereign over the whole earth, that, that, can, that can add a word, speak the stars into existence, that add a word can raise, that can, can raise up animals, that, that out of a breath can raise up a man. Speak to the God who can do all this stuff and he will change your circumstance. James doesn't say that, does he? So what he says is, your circumstance is what it is, the problem is what's in you. And so James doesn't even address their circumstance. James doesn't come out swinging going, man, listen, li- listen, you need to revolt. You need to start a whole church revolt against the government because they're persecuting. You need to start, you need to raise up mighty children of God. He doesn't say that. He says, what I'm seeing is the pressure is being put on and I don't like what's coming out. Jealousy and envy, greed. He never addresses their circumstance. What's curious to me in the church today, most most of the time we want to address your circumstance before we address what's inside you. Because we have the capability to make our circumstances more difficult because what comes out of us, right? You complicate your own complications. I read a little thing that said, sometimes in the worst of times, you think of yourself all the time. You can write that down. Sometimes in the worst of times, you think of yourself all the time. Isn't that true? God, how are you going to get me out of this? How are you going to get me out of this? Come on. How are you going to get me out of this? How are you going to, how are you going to, come on, Lord, why, why do they get what they want and I don't get what I want? Why do, why do they flourish? Why do, why do I not? Why do, why? God, God, God. I was inspired the other day. We went down with Mark, um, Mark Mason uh, to a, a, a camp called Watermark Camp in Stafford, Virginia, and that's where we tore uh, his motorhome apart and, um, and then left. <laughs> I thought, well, we're going to have to go to plan B on this one. So I got to talk to the guy that started that whole camp, and... Um, I was just overwhelmed with how much stuff was there. I thought, I don't know how you keep up with all this. This is, it's just, 
And there's, uh, there's ropes courses, there's zip lines, there's this and that, and there, there's all this stuff, and cabins, and lake, and stuff you jump off of the lake into this thing, and it bounces you out, and there's slides in the lake. I'm, my mind is just like, how do you maintenance all this stuff? And he said this, and he's got a really nice Jeep, and he's got a camper and a big house, and, and, and he's got, and he's got a, uh, one of those ATV side-by-things side running like 80 miles an hour. For a split second, I was like, I want one of those, God. <laughs> now, I'm not willing to kill him for it. Because, you know, I've been studying James, and I found out that was wrong. So, like, I'm not willing to just kill him for it, God, because I read this week at James that you said, man, people killing each other for that type of stuff is not what the church is supposed to do. But I'm thinking, I really, I mean, Lord, I've got my 13, almost 13-year-old son here, and he really wants it. <laughs> if you could see it in your heart, Lord, I know you're a good father that will not withhold any good thing from his son, and, and this is a good boy. If you would see fit to bless him with that, I may ride it every now and then and let him not ride it. But, um, and then I was inspired. I started talking to the guy. I said, did you ever dream of all this stuff happening when you sold your excavation business and decided to mentor young people? And he said, Chris, there's no way I saw all this stuff. I just kept trusting God. And he, he said it probably four times already done. He said, you can't outgive God. And, and I, I instantly thought, God, I don't want what he has. I want what's in him. I want what's in him. And on the trip home, I just started thinking, God, how can I get what's in him in me? How can I get the idea that you can't outgive God no matter what your circumstance may be, that what's the, the key to flourishing is, is that I can trust him no matter what circumstance, and I don't care, like if he blesses you, I'm fine with that. But how do I get what was in him in me? Because that was the key to everything. He didn't go, man, Chris, like I wish God would bless me like he blessed you. He didn't say that. He said, I just keep saying yes to what God, he leads me down these paths. We just keep running with it. You can't outgive God. And I know that he's not just saying it because I know through the testimony of other people is one of the most generous people on the planet. And so I'm sitting there like, all right, how much money do I have to give away for God to give me one of those things? <laughs> you know, God can read your mind. So you don't even have to say it out loud. You can think it and be like, oh, God, I didn't, I didn't mean to think that. He's like, yes, you did. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. Changing what you do without changing who you are will reap little reward. Do you hear that? Changing what you do without changing who you are will reap very little reward. I'm reading a book right now called Deep Work. It's not a Christian book. It's about being able to focus on things for long periods of time. And anybody who has produced uh, like, like thought that has changed the way society uh, thinks, 
uh, has done this. They've, they've isolated themselves for long periods of time and able to, and able to really think deeply on things. You know you only have so much, you have limited amount of willpower and focus during the day. Do you know that? You're like, that's why I'm like scratching my face off if I don't get coffee in the morning. So my, my thing is, is that I realize that I have a limited amount of power to cause me to do something every day, to change the way I operate. I have a limited amount of power. That's why the Bible says you can do all things through you who think really hard about it. No, because you have a limited amount of that stuff. Your flesh is weak. I may be weak, but you're strong in me. That's why we don't sing, I may be weak, but I think really hard about it. Because what you're finding out in your life is it doesn't matter how much you think about it, you only have a certain amount of willpower. But what we, what we do in the modern day church is we come into the church and we go, man, everybody's nice here. I'll start being nice. Everybody, everybody, man, people lift their hands in worship. I start, man. No, the clue we're doing, we're just like, yeah. This is good stuff, man. Hey, you know what? I noticed the people at the church don't cuss very, mu- very much. I, I noticed they don't go here. Well, I'll stop going there. I noticed they, they don't do that. I'll stop doing that. I noticed they give 10%. Wait a second. Wait a second. And so what we do is we do behavior modification. You've heard me talk about this before, right? But what I'm finding out is you only have a limited amount of willpower to change that behavior. That's why you got to spank your kids over and over and over again. Visitor just went, oh, this is old school church. Um, so, so what happens is you have a limited amount of willpower to do that. So what has to happen to you is that you have to become a different person inside in order for the external stuff to actually change. Because listen, if you walk in here and you just start doing what everybody else does, when the pressure comes on, you're going to do what you used to do. Because what's inside hasn't changed. We just, we just put another mask on it. We just started hanging around different people. And so it really wasn't much life change happened. It was just behavioral modification. And at the end of the day, that doesn't get us very far. Because at the end of the day, you're going to run out of willpower to keep that up. You're going to run out of willpower to keep from losing your temper. You're going to run out of willpower to keep from, from saying hurtful things. You're going to run out of willpower to keep from coveting what somebody else has. You're going to run out of willpower. That's why James says, listen, the problem is not your circumstance. It's what is in you that is causing the huge problem. He said, this is not about just acting nice. This is not about just treating each other nice. This is about you have to have a transformation of who you are as a person. Because when the pressure comes on, who you really are is what's going to be squeezed out. So if you want lasting change, you have to change who you are. Proverbs 4, 23 in the New Living Translation says this, Guard your heart above all else. It determines the course of your life. What does it say? Guard Guard your circumstances above all else. No, it says guard your heart, regardless of the circumstances, because your heart, who you are, deep down inside, will determine the course of your life. 
The reason I wanted what was in him more than what he had is because I saw what was in him take him to where he is. Come on, we covet such material things. And you need to look at the person and you need to say, listen, I see your your humility. I see your surrender to the things of God. I see your generosity. I want those things. Not your house. I don't like the flooring in your living room. So what's in you that's going to decide where you go? Not the clothes you wear. Not the house you live in, not the car you drive. It's what's in you that will decide where you go. So I tell my kids every time, you make all these plans. I, said, I think I said it last week. You're going to hear me keep saying it. You make all these plans, but have you become the person that can carry them out? Because sooner or later, their facade drops off, doesn't it? When the pressure gets squeezed, I'm going to find out if there's orange juice in there or not. When the pressure comes on, I'm going to find out if Jesus is in there or not. The pressure comes on, we find out. Come on, somebody say amen. amen. Watch what James says here. He throws this in in the middle of this whole, you're awful people statements. He throws this in here. He says this. You don't have because you don't ask. Can you put it, did I put that verse up there? You don't have because you don't ask. He says you don't have because you don't ask. And most, most prosperity people, or when you ask, you do not receive because you ask. Did I put one before that? I'll read it to you. Leave that one up there. He says this. You do not have because you do not ask God. And we stop there, right? You do not have because you do not ask God. And we'll pray, we'll preach. Man, you've got to ask. You've got a poverty mentality. You need to raise up. God wants to bless you. You need to ask for it. Because we can be so focused with our circumstances and the external things. James says, you don't have because you don't ask. But the real meat of the issue is even when you do ask, you don't get it. Because why? Why? Because you ask the wrong motives. He says, even when you ask, Jesus said, whatever you ask for in my name, you'll receive. Did he not say that? Yeah, he said it. And so we say, come on, raise up church. Raise up church. Whatever you ask in the name of Jesus will be given to you right now. In the name of Jesus, ask, 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 ask. I mean, we'll make a jingle about it. Just ask the Lord. Come on, everybody's going to get what they want today. Come on, you came to church, you're going to get what you want. Ask, and you shall receive. People have built whole careers on that. But James says, listen, as a guy who hung out with Jesus for a while, Can I say to you that asking just for the sake of asking with the wrong motive, remember? Asking when what is in here is corrupt and not submitted to God, asking will get you nothing. But here's what we do. Here's what we do. We say, I ask and God did not come through for me. Come on, who's prayed that before? Who said that to a neighbor before? I have, shame on me, 
Think less of me if you want to. I'm being honest and you're not. I've prayed stuff like that before. God, I asked you. I asked you, Lord. And you didn't. I mean, is it me? Is it, is it me, God? Like, and you know what? In those moments, I don't really want to hear that, do I? I'm like, I'm pretty sure it's not me. I'm pretty sure it's you. I know you're God's stuff, but hey, listen, you're not perfect. <laughs> Wait, no, he is perfect. He is perfect. But when I do that to him, I'm insinuating that he's not. Come on. When I do that, you should have given it to me and you didn't. I'm saying you're not, you're, in my eyes, you're not perfect. And what he's saying is, if what's inside you lined up with me, I would give you what you asked because you'd be asking me for what I wanted to give you in the first place. Because you wouldn't be asking for the, for the ATV side by side, you'd be asking for what's in that guy that caused him to give and give and give. But because of your heart is full of greed and, and envy, you ask for the result of something that you'll never get because it's not right in here. And then I blame God for it. And I say, God, man, I asked in Jesus' name. I said, in Jesus' name, give me that ATV. So Jesus' name becomes a byline to get what greed has put in our hearts. Man, I told you you should put, cinch your belt up. Jesus' name just becomes the code word. How do I get access into this thing? How do I get access into prosperity? In Jesus' name. That's what the American church has taught for years. In Jesus' name, man. Jesus' name, the check starts rolling in. It ain't hard work. Jesus' name. Look at this. James said, that's what's in you that's the problem. And because of what's in you, you ask with the wrong motives. And by the way, God doesn't need you to say it out loud. He already knows the condition of your heart. So here's the issue. It's not your circumstance. That's the problem. If I want to drive home anything today, many of you have left your circumstances to decide whether you're going to flourish or not. And that's nowhere in Scripture. What is in Scripture is what James is addressing here. That when the pressure is put on, when you are being squeezed with everything in you, when you are being squeezed to the limit, he wants to make sure that Jesus comes out. So James is saying, you've got to address this. You can't let this go on. So he says, you, in, 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 the, in the pressure moment, you see what somebody else has, and you want it, you want it, you want it. And so you ask in Jesus' name, and you think he's just going to give it to you. But the issue is, is that your motives are absolutely wrong. And when you're squeezing, being pressured, that's what's coming out. And God's not going to bless that. He's not going to bless it. Sometimes in the worst of times... We're just still looking out for ourselves, aren't we? Still looking out for ourselves. We have to realize the reality we're in. And to, James lays out the steps to fix this. Aren't you glad the Bible doesn't just leave you as a sinner? Aren't you glad 
the Bible is not a hopeless book. Aren't you glad that when, that when a guy like James comes to you and says, listen, listen, it's about your heart condition and you're being pressured right now and it's popping out all, for, every, for the whole world to see. But I'm not going to leave you without hope. I'm not going to leave you without hope. I'm not going to leave you without hope. There's a great hope. Actually, in times like this, in times like this, there's more hope. So what does James say? What does he say? He says this. Are you ready? This is, this is big boy conversations here. Are you ready? Come on, say amen if you're ready. You ready to hear this? All right, you said you were. He says, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. <laughs> well, if that's all it takes, in Jesus' name I resist the devil. Give me what I want. You see how quick we are to just twist things up? Well, if that's all it takes, I, I'm resisting the devil. I'm thinking bad thoughts about you right now, but I'm not saying them. Resist, resist, resist. I will resist. Submit yourself to God. I did in worship. I lift my hand. This is a mission, God. This is what it looks like. I've been, I've been, in, I've been around church people a long time. Submit yourself to God. Do they see me submitting, Lord? They know what I did last week. I need to look like I'm submitting. I'm resisting the devil. We spend more time rebuking the devil than we do the rest of the things James told us to do. Because it's easy. Right? I rebuke the devil. The devil's after me. I rebuke him. I rebuke the devil. I rebuke the devil. My circumstances are bad, so I'm rebuking the devil. This is the hard part. Watch this. Verse 8. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Oh, that's great. That's great. I showed up for church today, right? All right. Now, this is where it becomes difficult conversation. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Like, I don't think we need to use that terminology, sinner part, right? I don't think visitors will come to the church if we say sinner on Sunday morning. Wait a second. That wasn't it. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter into mourning and your joy to gloom. Somebody say flourish. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord. You know what I think? I think we have done away with Sorrow for our sin in the body of Christ. I think we've done away with it because it's messy. It's messy. It's messy work. It's humiliating. It's not, it's not cool. It's not, you, 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 can't send, you can't send an Instagram picture out 
advertising your Sunday morning church service, come with us. We're going we're gonna to turn our joy into, into gloom and our laughter into wailing this morning before the Lord. And, and this is going to be a great service. Join us at 930. You won't even show up for that. That's why I didn't even advertise it this week. I thought, what am I going to say? Come here and we will all repent. 9.30, don't miss it. James is saying, listen, there has to be a godly sorrow that happens in our heart. I'm not saying like six months of like, Lord, I didn't tell the whole truth. Um, but there needs to be a moment in our lives that sin with the reality of the sin we are living in and the reality of, of what is actually in us changes our hearts, right? Where we actually say, this is not a game I'm playing, but this is a thing that God considers holy. And if I'm going to do his will, if I'm going to live the standard he wants me to, I am, I, there needs to be a repentance, a sorrow. And, our, and James says, this is the step. To becoming the actual person that when you squeeze them, the same thing comes out. There are times in my life in the past couple years where, where the reality of God rescuing me in spite of me has hit me heavy, heavy. That I realize, God, what is in me is not what it should be. And yet you save me. What is in me is not what it should be. And yet while I was a sinner, Christ died for me. And I have wept Because I thought, God, I'm not sure I'll ever get this right. Like, I'm not sure... If there ever be a time that, that when, when I get squeezed, that, that some amount of sin doesn't come out. But, and your grace and mercy are overwhelming me at this point in time. But I need you to forgive me and change me. You see, most of the time in our lives, we're just trying to stack up enough good things to overcome the bad things. And we get this idea that, that if... That if I do three or four good things and two bad things during the week, it's not a big deal. And we have lost godly sorrow. We lost it. Because sin isn't really that big a deal. Sin is not that big a deal. It's just whatever. All right, I'm going to wrap this up here. But I need, you, I need you to lean in now. You're like, oh, as if it's not bad enough. <laughs> lean in. Watch this. If the band wants to come up. Watch this. Anybody ever mess around with a pressure cooker? I guess mess around with a pressure cooker isn't the right statement. Um, nobody uses those anymore, though, do they? But some people still do? You know why our society doesn't use pressure cookers anymore? Because they're dangerous. <laughs> like, oh. Nobody uses deep fryers either because you're going to die the first time you eat something out of it. Um, <laughs> bubble wrapped. So pressure cookers are amazing things, aren't they? Pressure cookers are amazing things. Because you can cook a piece of meat in like, what, half the time? 
You cook a piece of meat in half the time. Half the time. Look at your neighbor and say half the time. Everybody's going to Walmart after this. Like, half the time I'm getting a pressure cooker. Because a slow cooker does things three times as long. Like I can put in the slow cooker. Oh yeah? I can put in the pressure cooker. I can be eating it before your slow cooker warms up. The other thing a pressure cooker does, and it makes the most tender meat you've ever tasted, doesn't it? It's amazing. It's like, as soon as you put it in your... You used a pressure cooker, didn't you? I could taste it. I could taste the fact that you put a pressure cook, used a pressure cooker to cook this meat. I could taste it. As soon as I put it in my mouth, I went, pressure cooker. Amazing. Most of us want slow cooker relationships with Christ where we kind of determine how fast the heat rises. And that, Lord, over the next 30 years, I'll try to get a little better. And, and we'll just, you know, we'll come to the end of this thing and, uh, and I'll be a little better than I was before. I'm not sure I'm really going to submit to you all the way. But, but um, I'm going to be better. I believe... God's deal with you is more of a pressure cooker illustration. And some of you are living it. I've lived it. Where the pressure builds up so much that you go, God, I don't, I don't, I don't think I can take anymore. Lord, I don't, what are you doing? I, I don't, I don't, I, I can't take another I can't take another person giving me bad news. I can't take another time where where things aren't going right. I can't take another time. And he said, listen, this is God's word to us. He says, listen, trust me, when the pressure is turned up, you'll be better off at the end. Because the beauty about pressure is it makes things tender, doesn't it? Like when you use a meat mallet, you don't use it like this. What's the recipe say? Flatten out chicken breast out to a half inch. Now you grab that thing, put saran wrap on it. You don't want everybody to get poisoned. Chicken stuff everywhere. And you go, bang, 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 bang. And then you step back, it's, an inch, it's a half an inch thing. You're like, man, meat mallets are awesome. Job said, when he has tried me, I will be as pure as gold. That's what Job said. Job lost everything within a matter of hours, the Bible says. It says when one servant was running in telling Job bad news, before he got done talking, another servant would come in behind him and say, listen, that's not the end of it. Here's some more. Could you imagine a pressure cooker setting with Job? And Job gets to the place in his life where he says, even if he kills me, I'll trust him. Because what is actually in here is transforming. You get to the end of the book of Job, and Job says, listen, who was I to ever question you? You're God. You know all these things. You're the one set them into motion. I, I, I didn't trust you. I question you. I should have never done that. I understand that you're God now. And the worst mistake you can make in the situation you're in right now 
is to not understand that God is God and he's perfect and he's perfect over your situation and he's perfect over the pressure in your life and he's perfect over everything that will ever come into your life. He's perfect. And he's using a pressure cooker to change your heart. Because sometimes in our lives, listen, I'm talking from experience the past couple years. Sometimes in our lives, our hearts don't change with the or God giving us one more thing or God blessing us with, oh Lord, bless me again. No, it was under the pressure cooker that the inside changed. And I became different. Wasn't laying on a beach somewhere. It was laying on my bed face down, weeping before God, saying, forgive me. Forgive me. The pressure that is on me right now revealed the sin in my life. The pressure on the Jerusalem church revealed the sin in them. James addressed it and said, you know the way to fix this, guys? It's not ask for more stuff. It's ask for forgiveness. It's to turn your joy into into sorrow, into mourning, and turn your laughter into wailing. He's saying there's got to be a moment in time where the pressure reveals what's inside of you and you understand what it is. But listen, remember the Bible doesn't leave us without hope. It doesn't leave us without hope. Come on, church, it doesn't leave us without hope. Stand up. Come on, we're going to say this together. He says, he says this, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Come on, everybody say that together. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. And he will lift you up. Come on, say it out loud. And he will lift you up. Come on, and he will lift you up. He's saying, listen, listen, you've been trying to manipulate your life all the way to this point. The pressure's on now and there's a re- there's a need to get forgiveness and to be in sorrow for our sin. But at the end of the day, he says, if you will humble yourselves before God, then what is the, what is the amazing thing? He will lift you up. He will lift you up. This is a super popular verse. Everybody says it all the time. Second Chronicles 7, 14. But here's what, we, here's what we leave out. At times, this is God talking. At times, I might shut up the heavens so that no rain falls or command grasshoppers to devour your crops or send plagues among them. When God shuts up the heavens, it's no use to rebuke the devil. Somebody say pressure cooker. He's trying to tenderize our hearts. So then what we do is we only quote this. We say the devil is doing it. The devil is doing it. The devil's all over me, man. The devil's all over me. Then if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven, forgive their sins, and do what? Restore. He said, if you humble yourselves, I will lift you up. So when the pressure comes on, don't get it confused. Don't get it confused. And then John says this in 3 John 2, Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that, may all, and that all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. So 
so John brings the full circle and he says, listen, I want all these things to go well with you as long as what is in here is going well. It's what's in here. And if God's got the squeeze on you this morning, if he's got you in a pressure cooker, stop cursing God. Stop blaming him. Stop trying to just get out of it. Stop praying that God changes your circumstances and pray that God would change our hearts. Amen. Pray that there'd be a transformation in us. Because if that doesn't happen, then the pressure was for nothing. If the meat is not tender at the end of the cooking process, then the whole process was pointless. Come on. You'll take that pressure cooker back over. You're like, I put it in a pressure cooker for 30 minutes and that thing was as tough as it was when I put it in there. It ain't working. But if we allow it to tenderize our hearts, we can flourish in any circumstance. Amen. Come on all across the building. Lift your hands. Close your eyes. Let this be real. Let this be real this morning. Father, we ask for your forgiveness today. Lord, there is a There is a holy sorrow that's coming over our hearts this morning. We need your forgiveness before we take one more step, before we ask for one more thing, before we want you to change one more thing in our lives, Lord. The pressure has been turned up, and you are tenderizing our hearts this morning. God, we understand what it's about now. Lord, we understand what my circumstance is trying to do right now. We understand why you haven't lifted it yet, Lord, because the transformation hasn't taken place. But today... Today, I need you to forgive me. Lord, I need you to change my heart. Lord, I need you to, I need you to, to break me this morning, Lord. I need you to break me today, God. I need you to, to make me tender towards your commands, to your guidance in my life. I need to be able to hear you this morning, God. I need to be able to ask with the right motives. I need to know I'm close to you this morning. I need you to lift me up, God. Father, I pray that your forgiveness would flow through this building today, Lord. Come on, every tear that's being shed, every every heart that's broken this morning, Lord, I pray that your mercy and grace would step right into that void and that the blood that Jesus shed for us is more than enough, God, would come in and encourage us today, Lord. Change our hearts this morning, God. When the pressure comes on, let you come out of us. In Jesus' mighty name, we pray. Come on, church, give him honor and glory this morning. He's worthy.